0: Now, we're, we're, we're kind of taking a break from what we've been talking about for a while. I'm sure some of you are saying, Woo! We're not in the book of Matthew today! <laughs> All right! And, and you, you're, you're welcome to feel that way. I, I, I understand that. Uh, today, though, we are going to be looking at Revelation 7, 9 through 17. I'm sure then some of you are saying, Oh no, not Revelation not that book. I don't want to talk about that book, but I promise you it is going to be okay. As you turn there, the main thing I want you to keep in your mind is the fact that Revelation, a, a good chunk of it, is meant as an allegory. It is, it is metaphor, it is imagery used to convey messages to the churches that John is writing to. And so when we read a lot of it, we cannot just take it as literal facts. We must take it as something that is pointing to another idea. And so as we read today, we're going to see some of that at play. But, but more so, keep in mind that during this time, the churches are facing persecution from the Roman Empire. Christians are being hunted and killed. And so in the midst of all this, John writes this message to God's church. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word today in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. It says, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Blessing, and glory, and honor, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear. From their eyes. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we journey today on this very special day that we call All Saints Day, Lord, please allow your Holy Spirit to come upon us and to work within our hearts and our minds to hear what you have given us, to, to challenge us, to shape us, and mold us to learn more of what it means to live like Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you have heard of this day called All Saints Day? Right? A few. Okay. More than I thought. That's awesome. All Saints Day. Uh, Yesterday, also, I'm going to give a shout out because I know Pastor Jessica loves what was yesterday. And it's not because it was Halloween. It's because it was Reformation Day. Reformation Day is when Martin Luther went up to the church and nailed the 95 Theses to the door, which started a cascade of events. That (laughs) it was Halloween yesterday too. Yes, my daughter is very adamant that I do not forget that. But he nails the 95 Theses to the door and it changes the landscape of the church forever. But then the day after on November 1st, every year it is All Saints Day. And what that is is a tradition going back many, many years where the church remembers those who have died in Christ, where they recognize that there are those who have died either in a peaceful death or in persecution, in martyrdom, and they want to give recognition to those who have gone on before them. They want to honor them. They want to give thanks for their lives because if it was not for them, they would not be where they were at. And so today, I want us to also take a break from everything that we've been doing, take a break from everything that's been going on in our lives, everything we've been talking about for the past couple of months, and rejoice and give God praise for the saints who have come before us. Because without them, we would not be where we are at today. And so we must give God praise for that. In fact, that's, that's the whole point. Now, some might think that All Saints Day is where we somehow honor people, but they would be missing the greater depth of what it means to be a saint. In order to be a saint, they are ones who are, are constantly pointing to God with their lives. They have surrendered everything of themselves so that Christ might be magnified. And so the, the point that I want us to narrow on today is that All Saints Day is where we look to our elders, both past and present, as real-life examples of God's faithfulness to his people. If there is nothing else that we get today, this is what we need to understand, that everything that we read about, everything that we hear about, the stories that we are told about those who've come before us are meant to magnify God's glory and greatness, to show his steadfast love and care for his people. And we set this time aside to honor those people who've died Because they've helped point us to Christ. And so as we look at the book of Revelation, what we must first see here is that actually at the beginning of chapter 7, we have the the section where it's the 144,000 that are sealed. And what is going on here is that God is beginning to punish the earth. He is beginning to bring storms and chaos upon the earth. But before he does that, he says, I'm going to protect my people, and he seals these people, 144,000, 12,000 people from every tribe of Israel, which is a lot of symbolism. Twelve is important. 144 is important, uh, but but that is not the focus. The point is is that they are being protected. God is saying, "You will not suffer in the things that I'm going to do on this earth." But immediately following that, we come to the rest of the people who have been following God. And what we see is that these are people who were not protected. People who were not spared. People who died. And here we have a host, a multitude that no one could count standing before the throne of God. Now you would think that because they had heard the promises that God gave. We read about the promises. We know about the promises where God says, I'm going to protect my people. You would think that they'd be standing before the throne of God, weeping and mourning and saying, God, why didn't you protect us? Why didn't you care for us? But that's not what we see here. Instead, we see them saying, praise be the Lord. Salvation is God's. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Instead of throwing a fit, instead of being frustrated or angry, saying, why, God, did you not seal us as well? Why weren't we one of those 144,000? They're saying, praise be God, because he is bringing about salvation. Because salvation is not just a one-time moment. Salvation is not just a a shallow moment. Thing about being spared from the present trouble. Salvation is all encompassing, and what they are experiencing here is such a deeper, more broader, lasting salvation because they remain faithful throughout all their time. When you look at verses 14 through the rest of the uh, chapter, there it says, "I, I said to him, Sir. You are the one that knows, because he's asked, who, who are these people? And it's kind of a rhetorical question. He's saying, who, do you know who these are, John? And he's like, I, I have no clue. This, this is what God's showing me. I, I don't understand, so tell me. These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the people who face trials, who faced tribulation, who were persecuted and killed, who died not seeing the fulfillment of God's promise yet. But because they remain faithful, it says that they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And they are made white. Which is so awesome because I don't know if you realize this, but um, it's really hard to get like blood out of white clothes. Um, but this, this is meant to be that symbolism, again, that I was talking about. Where the, the blood that was shed by Christ on the cross is Purifying. It is restorative. And so now they are being made white because they've remained faithful. And because they've remained faithful, we have verse 15 and following. For this reason, which I would argue is another way to say, therefore, because they were faithful, because they stood with Christ throughout all of it, even to death, they get this. They get to stand before the throne of God. They get to worship him day and night within his temple. Imagine how great that is. We have those songs that we sing. Better is one day in his courts. Better is one day in his temple than a thousand elsewhere. I mean, how great would it be just to be in the presence of God? To worship him day and night. But there's more. The whole scope of salvation that we see here is they will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That is salvation. That is God bringing about his full promise. So even though they had died, even though they went through all the trials and tribulation and perished, they came to the point where God made them whole, where no longer they thirst or hungered, where they didn't have to wander about in the desert. Remember, this this is Israel. They know what deserts are. We don't quite know what deserts are here in Michigan. We have no concept of that. The most we could get is if you go up further north during wintertime, you have the tundras, but that's about it. But it's not hot. It's cold. They're protected from the heat. And the thing that I love most is is the last verse. And every tear will be wiped away. Every sorrow, every pain, everything is taken away because they are standing before the presence of God Almighty, worshiping him day and night. So this is what happens for the saints. And this is the promise. This is the hope that we receive because we face this. We have people who have died, even within our own church. Who knows what this is? I took it off the wall, and it's heavy. It's solid oak. Who knows what this is? Valerie, I know you know what this is. It's a memorial roll. Alma Church Memorial Roll. Every name that's on here is someone who has been a member of the church who has died and their name is placed on here. Now, this is not all-encompassing. I'm kind of sad that it isn't. But these people are people who have died within the church. These are our saints. These are the people who built this church before us. These are the people that we must give God praise and glory and honor because without them, we would not be here today. And we give God praise and glory and honor because we know that they are being comforted, that they will not have any more pain or sorrow, that, that they have received their salvation in full. And so there is no longer any reason to weep. So I want us to look at the saints. I want us to, to understand the, the impact of what this means for us. And first of all, we, we become a part of this. We, we recognize the faithfulness of God by first reading about the saints. Because we have the internet, because we have technology at our disposals, supercomputers cu- super in our pockets, we have no excuse not to read about those who've come before us. There's so many resources out there, so many books, and so we should take the time to read about them. One of them, that I've been getting into lately is it's the, the Book of Saints. And there's about five books in this collection. They go throughout history. And these are the early, the early era. So this is immediately following Christ. These are people from like 130 AD. And I'm reading about their lives. I'm reading about their teachings. These are teachings that have shaped the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I'm reading the prayers that they prayed to God. And it has shaped me and molded me and taught me more about what it means to be faithful. We can read about these saints. We we should read about Martin Luther and why he wrote the 95 Theses. We should see what kind of spark that meant when we talk about the Reformation. We should read about Ignatius and Polycarp. And we should read about Wesley. And we should read about even these people because again while it might not be all encompassing we can look up these people's lives we can read obituaries we can find newspaper clippings all of that has been digitized over the years and we can read about how these people lived and by reading about what they did and how they overcame persecution it can strengthen us to also overcome the persecution that we face today the trials and the tribulations, and to not be afraid. But more so, we need to listen to the saints that we have with us today. The elders who are present among us. This is something that has has hurt me a lot over the years because I, I get it and I understand the process of it, but yet it still frustrates me because so often we hear about Getting young folks in. Getting young folks in. We need young folks. And and this is not just in the church. This is across corporations. This is across our society. Everyone is so focused on the young folks because they are the future that we forget about the older folks who built this future. Who prepared it. We have those people with us. Valerie, Dolores, April, John and Yvonne, when's the last time you've asked them, Tell me a story about how God was faithful in your life. Tell me about how God worked in you. Tell me about something that God was doing in this church. Tell me about what God is doing and how I can learn to be better. We need to look to our elders for wisdom, for insight and encouragement, because they have so much to teach us. Back a while ago, I don't know even how long ago, it was warmer. It wasn't snowing. That I know for sure. Uh, But I sat down with Dolores in her house, and boy, the stories. I love your stories. I do. And I remember hearing some, and I know Pastor Jessica loved the stories back in Sunday school when we still had it, uh, where you would just share those God moments. And those Those are beautiful and I love them and we need to appreciate them more because they've lived lives, they've messed up, and they've made right choices that we can learn from, that we can grow from, so we don't have to do it ourselves. That's the whole point of talking to the elders, to learning from them so that we don't have to go through the same heartaches that they do. We get to face new ones because we didn't go through the old ones. But this is what is so important for us, because when we stop listening to the elders, we begin making the same mistakes. We begin to repeat the same problems that they faced in their lifetime. And even more so, we do a dishonor to them, because their faithfulness to God over the years has brought us to the point that we are at. And we need to give them glory and honor because they are pointing us to God. Their lives are a reflection of how God has been faithful to them, and it should stand as a witness to us. And Don't get me wrong. I like young people. I think I'm still considered a young person. And yeah, we have great ideas, and yeah, we have a lot of energy, but, but I tell you, I wish I could go back in time and speak with my great-grandfather before he passed. He was a pastor. He was a pastor during during the 1920s and 30s and 40s and, and, and 50s and 60s. I mean, he served during such a, a tremendous point in, in human history, at least in America, and I wish I could have spoken to him more. Unfortunately, when I was... Present with him, I was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy who had no concept of loving our elderly, listening to their stories, learning from them. And now I feel like I've missed out. But I've taken the opportunity now to, to listen to my grandparents because they have stories. They can talk about how God has been faithful. I love hearing about how my grandma tells where she, in order to make ends meet, to provide for the family— she would be making loaves and loaves and loaves of bread every week to sell them so that she could get some money to feed her family. And how she would be praying and singing as she's making these loaves, as she would go around to houses and clean houses just to get money for food for her family. I mean, And yet God was faithful to her. And there's lessons to be learned in that. In fact, the one lesson that I picked up the most from my grandmother that I still say today and I use it as a guiding post in our family was when my grandma and grandpa were younger, she had went to her mother's house and they were eating and her mother pulled out a stick of butter and it was real butter. And my grandmother said, oh, real butter how I'd love to have real butter in my house. And her mother said to her very just calmly, you would if you didn't drink so much pop. And she was like, uh, where am I spending my money? And that that lesson has impacted me because I look at it and I say, okay, let's use this as a standard. If we ever come to the point, Amy, where we can't afford real butter in our house, Where are we throwing our money? Because real butter is still fairly cheap. uh, Fairly. Uh, If we can't afford that, where are we putting our money? How have we been faithful throughout all that? These are the kind of lessons that we can learn that teach us to be faithful to God through even our finances. And so we spend this time looking towards them. And finally, we learn about God's faithfulness, his love, and his kindness by learning to be like the saints. Now this one, you might be wondering, like, how do I become a saint? I mean, back again, when I was not knowledgeable about all of this, when I had no understanding about it, I began to say, okay, a saint is, is someone like Mother Teresa, or a saint is like Martin Luther, or they're they're old and wrinkly and have long gray hair and they've been out in the desert where they've done nothing for their lives except pray and read scripture. Like I had no recollection of what a saint truly was. And here's the funny thing: the word for saint is the same word that is used for holy, sanctified, set apart. The word for saint is just the noun for the same word that is used as a verb to describe, or an adjective, sorry, English, adjective to describe holy, sanctified, set apart. So a saint is one who is holy, sanctified, set apart. And when you begin to talk about that definition, then you begin to say, okay, well, Christ calls us to be holy, sanctified, set apart. Christians are to be holy, sanctified, set apart. We are called to not be in the world, or we are called not to be of the world, but in the world. We are supposed to not be like others. We are supposed to be the reflection of God. And so, as Christians, we should naturally then be working towards and living towards this idea of being a saint. And I don't know where this got lost in our culture, but even Paul, as I've read now throughout the letters... He talks about all the other Christians as saying, and and those saints, be in prayer for those saints. And and this is at the beginning of the church, so how in the world do they have saints already then? Well, that's because to be a saint is simply to be one who is pursuing Christ. To be a saint is one who is living like Christ. And so... We not only read about the saints who have come before us, especially those who have died. We don't just listen to the saints who are present with us and learn from their stories. But we also actively work every single day to be a saint in the places where we work and live. To be holy, sanctified, set apart. To demonstrate that to our neighbors, our loved ones, our friends, our co-workers, our bosses the person at the cash register and the way we act and the way we speak and the way we live. We become a saint when we pursue Christ with all of our heart. So as we close today, I want us To give God the glory and the praise and the honor for saints. For those who have come before us and specifically those who are a part of our church. So I'm going to have up here every name that's on this plaque. And there's a song that's going to play. Oh for a Thousand Tongues. Written by Charles Wesley. If you want to read the words to that, it's I believe 147 in our hymnal Don't quote me, but I think that's correct. Um, But read the names. And as you read them, as you listen to the music, I want you to pray and give thanks to God for each of these people's lives. Saying, thank you, Lord, for this person who gave of their time, their talents, their treasures, so that we could be here today. Thank you for this person. Thank you for that person. And if you get through all the lists and the song's not done, then start looking around the room and saying, "Thank you God for Dolores. Thank you God for Valerie. Thank you for April V or uh, April April Joy. Thank you for all those who are elderly that that have paved the pathway for us. To give them praise." And then as you go throughout the week, begin to ask yourself, "How can I learn more about the church's history?" How can I learn more about the saints? How can I be shaped by their lives, impacted by them, so that then I can be a part of one of these who no longer hungers, who no longer thirsts, who is no longer beat down by heat, but I am led to streams of the water of life where every tear is wiped away. My prayer for each of us today is that someday our name might join that list. That our names might be a part of this this multitude that John writes of. Who is before the throne of God saying salvation to God. All. Glory and honor and might and power and wisdom belongs to him. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the saints who have come before us. We thank you for their faithfulness to you. But more so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to them. You have not forsaken your people. You have not abandoned them. Your love is steadfast from age to age. There is absolutely nothing that stands between your divine love and protection. Your, your giving of salvation in its fullness. And those who are faithful to you. So help us, God. God to learn from the saints who have come before us. Help us, Lord, to to hear their voices as they cry out from the grave. Help us to, to learn the lessons, to see what they have seen, to understand what they learned, to be shaped by how you worked in their lives so that our lives might be changed. And may we continue to be ones who are working towards this title of saint. One who is holy, sanctified, set apart. May we be ones who live a life pursuing you so that when the time comes, we might join those around your throne, giving you all the praise and glory. It is in your name we pray. Amen. O God of the age, your saints who lived in faithful service surround your thrones and offer you praise and worship both night and day. May we, your saints on earth, join our voices with theirs to proclaim your rule of righteousness and peace, which comes to us through Jesus Christ now and forever. Amen. I now send you out into your communities to make Christ-like disciples. Go in the grace of God. God bless you.